Welcome to Struggle for Change, a podcast about the struggles faced by real educators and real students. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Struggle for Change. Today, we have a very special guest, Ashley, who is a middle school teacher who are going to be joining us. And I should introduce myself. I am Valerie Sun, one of your co-hosts for Struggle for Change. And we've also got our two co-hosts as well. Hey, everyone. Uh, Tracy Bondi, a CTO trying to change the world. Hey, I'm Emily Hendricks. I grew up with a dog, but I'm, all, I'm about to be a new cat owner. So, Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What you doing? So, as you know, my name is Ashley. Um, I have been an eighth grade teacher for about nine of the 12 years that I've been in with my current district. Um, two years, I was an ELA intervention teacher for grades five through eight. Uh, COVID year, I decided to make the change and drop down to sixth for a year to help out. Um, I've been in education for about 15 years, yearbook advisor, leadership advisor, athletic director, migrant tutor, academic tutoring after school, elope, um, chaperone. Those are cool. Those elope uh, field trips are amazing. I have so much fun there. Can you tell us what elope is? It's extended learning days. So the state of California Um, From what I understand, state of California gave public schools money to have nine-hour days. They cannot be school days. So these are Saturdays during spring break. These are, we did a week during winter break. We are taking our kids to Dodger Stadium to tour, see behind the scenes. We're taking them to the boardwalk after we take them to the mystery spot. This past Saturday, I actually got to take fourth, fourth through eighth graders to Reedley College, which is a junior college in my area, they had a STEM conference. So my middle schoolers got to sit in and learn about veterinary and medicine, learn about STEM through the public health eye. They got to make LED flashlights. So they got to go to these little sessions put on um, by one of our junior colleges. I really enjoy those. I get to be a kid again. That sounds absolutely amazing. And obviously, you are an incredible educator who is very well invested in the success of your students. And I heard recently you have come across a little bit of an issue. Can you tell us about what's going on with your students right now? So this year, actually, we, as an eighth grade teacher, um, we actually still do graduation. We hand out eighth grade diplomas if they've met the criteria, uh, cap and gown ceremony, uh, tradition of having a dance put on after graduation that the parents support. This year, currently, with just a couple of weeks left, 50% of our students have not met. Out of 94 eighth graders, 47 students are not on track to graduate. And in order to be on track to graduate, they need at least a 3.0. They keep a spreadsheet. I track GPA for all eighth graders. This is the lowest that even some of the teachers that I work with that have been there 20 plus years, the lowest graduation rate. And every year it just keeps getting lower and lower. Can you share with us some of the intervention that has been held 
for these students, the type of communication that has gone on with the students and with their parents and guardian, or what types of supports have you provided these students to help them get to promotion or graduation? Yeah, that's also another thing, right? Do we call it promotion? Do we call it graduation? Currently, that's actually a um, little conversation we have. It's always been called graduation. Our new admin is like, no, it's promotion. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but as far as like communication with parents and students, the requirements are in the handbook, the student handbook that parents sign off on. But we all know those really don't get read, right? We just, okay, we need to sign, move on. Um, and they're not huge expectations. They have to maintain a 2.0 average. So even if they fall below a 2.0 trimester one or trimester two, um, they just have to pick it up a little bit the next trimester. So if I end trimester one with a 1.5, I can get myself back on graduation track if I have a 2.5 trimester two. So it's not like, oh, you're below 2.0, you're done for the year. Um, they can't be suspended more than once. So we do allow one suspendable offense. Um, they have to have a 90% attendance rate. Usually, oh, behavior. They can't have more than four pink slips. And a pink slip for us at our school is that is a major infraction. So like a fight or we call them uh, type A infractions. And they're listed in the handbook. So you mentioned so, this, is, this is a new trend. So what it is? I mean, you can finish your thought too. But what do you think has changed to make this huge, like, obvious trend that's happening? Not just in a couple students, but it sounds like it's a more of a community-wide issue here. And it's funny when we look at it community-wide because in my conversations with the parents, the parents want the graduation more than the students. You know, like, that's my baby. I want to see him in a cap and gown, even if it is just eighth grade. Um, I want them to go on uh, the graduation trip. I want them at that dance. I want to chaperone that dance and, and see, you know, my baby and see my child hang out with their friends. Um, in talking with my students, because I am very transparent with my students, they're eighth grade. I tell them in four or five years, you're going to be voting. You're going to be considered an adult. You need to be able to think critically. And so, um, just last week I said, okay, let's lay it out on the table. What's going on? Why, why do we have this rate? Of course, their favorite phrase. I don't know. Like that, that I don't know is the biggest cuss word in my classroom. So I tell them. Tell me if you did know. If you did know, what would you say? They they really hate that. <laughs> and in, in a lot of the conversations, it's like, it doesn't matter to them. And I ask them why. They're like, we're going to high school anyways. You're not retaining us. We don't have to repeat eighth grade. We don't have to attend summer school with you guys. Now, they may be recommended to attend summer school at the at the high school level, but that's also not a guarantee. They're like, why should I stress myself out when I'm going anyways? I'm, I get to go. I get to still follow my friends. And I remember just, it kind of hit me because I'm like, I get it. I get it. But I'm like, as a teacher, I'm like, but I want you to have those, the work ethic because you're not going to be able to step on 
campus in high school with all the transitions and have that work ethic in place. You can't just turn it on. But I get wanting to enjoy your last year of kind of childhood before the pressures of high school take over. Well, it's kind of interesting, Ashley, that you said that it's been getting worse every year. So to piggyback on Emily, you know, I'm just wondering if there has been a, a shift in perspective in the last two years, if students are feeling like we're talking about learning loss and so I'm just going to fall into that rhythm. I mean, if if we were to, to try to dig a little bit deeper into your perspectives on this topic, is there any correlation to the... Uh, GPAs going down in the last couple of years? Any correlation to anything that you can think of? What our school did during COVID is we dropped the their worst trimester because we, again, we run on a trimester basis. And so honestly, I don't know where they were the kids talking. You know, some of them had siblings and like, oh, well, we just, our, my worst trimester was dropped. And, and I remember sitting in a meeting during a zoom meeting during COVID and admin saying, we're going to drop the the trimester. And I'm like, why we've been in school since March. Why can't we based on the timeline? Why can't we take trimester one, trimester two and their progress? Because they were just going to hit progress. Why do we have to drop the work that they've done? And they're like, well, it's just better for everyone. Okay. I, and I, I made my point, we're going to see a problem years down the road if we do this, because it wasn't just a one year. We did it two years. Last year, we didn't do it. And some of the kids were like, well, aren't you going to drop my my lowest trimester? And we're like, no, that that's not an all that's not an every year thing. Um, right, I think I'm that, getting that. So it, it sounds like, Ashley, that the, the rules changed. Right. Yeah. They're they're going along. They're following the rhythm. And then there's a rule change. They're like, well. What about those guys? Yeah, the rules changed. And what happens when you uh, take out routine and structure away from a kid? You know, I tell them every day, I get you're going to make mistakes. I don't expect perfection. I just expect you to be better than yesterday. You are growing a brain. Your emotions are out of whack. Your hormones are all crazy. Um, And they they don't necessarily understand that even though we dropped a trimester, we did it for a certain situation that we were all faced with. It wasn't going to continue. Well, do you think that teachers have also been um, providing the same amount of rigor that they did in the past? Are there inconsistencies that you've seen between workload, uh, whether it's good or good or unhealthy? Um, like what what's helping students kind of find a new motivation? To find a new motivation, that's a hard one. I don't even know how to answer that as far as inconsistencies, um, kind of like with the Google form that I filled out for you guys, it was it, inconsistencies in grading. I have had to grow over the course of being in education. I was raised by um, my grandparents and my grandfather was a military vet. And it was, I was raised very military style. Like you do this, you, you know, no questions asked. Um, so without realizing it, when I first started in education, I brought a lot of microaggressions in with me and I never allowed late work. It was black and white, very black and white. 
And the funny thing is, is when I didn't allow late work in eighth grade, my students rose to the occasion. August, September, October, part of October, atrocious. Like I was pulling my hair out. After the first parent conference, things got better. And by the end of the year, and I'm not the only English teacher I, I share, I see half the kids. The end of the end of the year, we would have maybe 10 out of 90 students not meet those criteria to, to walk the stage. In the past, I would say five, six years, especially with SEL coming in, which is super important. A lot of schools that I've seen have treated SEL as just give them everything without teaching the kids work ethic. And I think a lot of that goes hand in hand. We can't just give the kids, oh, you turned it in. You've only answered one out of 10 questions. Okay, um, I'm just going to give you credit for it. And I've seen that with my own eyes. My classroom, you don't meet my expectations. That assignment is going back to you and I'm going to meet with you. And this is what I need. Let's look at the directions. This is where we can fix things. Go back and fix it. There's not a lot of teachers like that where I'm at. It's, oh, you turned it in. Okay, full credit. So we're not even looking or assessing the quality of work. And kids pick up on that so quick. I can just write whatever I want. Well, my teacher's not going to look at it. And I'm still going to just get credit. But I haven't learned anything. Um, and that's talking to Val about the inconsistencies and in the, in the deficits in the grading system in general, especially the traditional grading system. Like, and looking at this, I, I learned something uh, a couple of weeks ago. I did not realize that the traditional grading system was created in Europe in the 1700s. And here we are 2023 and we're still using it. The 1700s. That's nuts. And, yes. So um, there, was, there was an article that I kept going back to. And it was called Deficiencies of Traditional Grading Systems and the Recommendations for the Future. And it was by, um, there's multiple authors, Kane, Medina, Romelli, and Persky. I'm hoping I'm saying their names right. And they said, Yale introduced achievement-based ranking and classification. Yale University is the one who introduced this in, the, in 1800. And this article was written in 2022. And the, the reason Europe introduced the grading system was to foster competition among students for prizes and rank order. It was all for competition, not for learning. The grades were created to let's let's get these kids to compete against each other. So I was kind of like mind blown. You know, we talk a lot about equity versus equality, but there's definitely an uh, equality issue if y'all ain't following the same kinds of rubrics right and mm -hmm. then the the outcome of that is reflective in low gpas over time right and, and absolutely I wonder, um if i may i want to pivot just a little bit to, to ask and, and you may or may not know this but when you think about your peers the folks you work with every day do you suspect because i'm wondering if some of them are dealing with burn absolutely and i mean I, I deal with burnout. And so I can't imagine my colleagues because I'm not married. I don't have kids. It is just me. I'm able to invest 
all my time into my students and I get exhausted. I can't imagine doing, doing your job and going home to kids, you know, and having to take care of kids and having to remove a hat. I'm no longer a teacher. I'm now mom or dad. Um, and just balancing that work home life. And if it's difficult for me at times, like I said, I can't, I can't imagine what they're dealing with. So absolutely burnout, right? We get, we get all of these, we hand out all these assignments and and then we realize that we have to grade all of these assignments or do we, you know, that's also a thing. Do we have to grade everything? Um, And as we do that, I have found myself, I have to step away because then my grading gets laxed. I'm like, I was, I'm not grading as hard on period four as I was period one because my eyes are tired and I'm just, I'm done for right now, but I haven't walked away. So there's, there's all these inconsistencies with grading. And I definitely think burnout has, has something to do with it. Burnout can relate. You know, we talk about compliance over mastery when we are tired and we're just assigning points or assigning assignments and just, okay, you completed it 10 points and we're not assessing the actual learning of those essential standards. It's like compliance. You are, we are compliance based with no knowledge, no learning being done. Describe your school community and who are the people that you feel are the most supportive, maybe other administrators other teachers like do you, do you personally feel supported as a teacher i'm thinking more of like social emotional as a as an adult human um for your staff a little background about me when it comes to so, social emotional is i don't mean this to sound negative at all i am a i i feel like i'm in a different boat i am a mass shooting survivor so my social emotional stuff is at a just stuff that I have to deal with. Um, I was, I was at the Las Vegas concert with the shooting that happened in 2017. So there are days when, you know, we hear about school shootings, my emotions, everything I'm on high alert and it's just still going, still teaching the, and I don't like speaking for people. We've had a high turnaround in admin at our school. This is year 12 for me. And I believe my current principal is number six or seven. And we've had a lot of principals come in and just want to change things off the bat. So even teachers, we haven't had structure. We haven't had routine. And we're like, well, we did it this way last year. How do you want us to do it this way? And even that revolving door of admin has, I've noticed from when I started working for this district to now, we as teachers sometimes have have the inability to think for ourselves as professionals because we're so used to things being changed. And if we don't have structure, how do we provide the structure for the kids? Our, at least for, for the middle school campus, um, our, our admin, it's the best that it's been in years. They are super supportive. Um, not saying it's perfect, right? Because we're human and we disagree. Our superintendent it does his absolute best. We are a very small uh, community. We have a student specialist who works with our behavior kids. We have um, 
a counselor that, you know, that's part of the MTSS team that meets with our high needs, our tier three kids. We have, um, we actually have this year, it's a program. I never heard of it before this year called Alevo. And so it's a group of people that come in and they're contracted with the district. And during PE, they'll take a small group of kids and after school program and they teach social emotional learning through physical activity. And I've seen um, quite a bit of change in some of our kids through that because the current eighth graders that I have, I had when I went down to sixth grade for the year. So this is my second year having them. And some of them, the maturity, the the ability to vocalize or process their emotions, uh, you know, definitely that program has helped. So our kids have quite a bit of resources. Now, do they utilize them? That's a different story. I love that you mentioned that you looped with this group of students. And I think that goes a lot into how you're able to have this really strong relationship with them and just be open with them about their current situation, right? So I necessarily didn't get to loop with them. I didn't have them in seventh grade. Um, So I had them in sixth, didn't have them in seventh, and then got some of them back in eighth grade. Um, So it's a semi-loop, I guess we can call it. Yeah. But it definitely helps with knowing that some of the students already have that built trust with you. It kind of encourages other students to have that trust and familiarity with you as well. Right. Oh, yeah. We're in the classroom. If a kid's doing something and they're, you know, testing those boundaries, I can I'll pull out the middle name and they're like, oh, man, no. Or I'll, you know, I've had kids cuss at me they're they're teenagers you know they're processing their emotions things are gonna slip you know and I'll I look at him straight in the eyes I'm like you're gonna call your mama and he's you know the kids not my mama if you're gonna be brave enough to tell me what you just said you're gonna be brave enough to admit it and talk to your mama about it because that's not okay the middle name's always my favorite though bring it out Good teaching tip right there. If you want to be yeah. really serious with your students, use their middle name, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I do have a question though, and you can feel free to not answer this question. Because of your experience in Vegas, do you think that has really impacted your teaching and the way you interact or have? or build these relationships you have with your students? Absolutely. I have definitely um, extended more grace, but in that I have had to find a balance and it's helped me understand that I can extend, I can help students with their social emotional learning, but I can also hold them accountable. It is, and that's where I go back to my previous comment of SCL is not giving kids everything they want. It is, it is a balance of the two. Because right after Vegas, I, I kind of got a little relaxed myself. And then I had to reevaluate that and be like, I can't shut down because of my personal experiences. It's not fair for the kids. And so when I have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, um, or just hard day. Um, it's always fun teaching eighth grade when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack and my 
sugar levels dropped it to 47 and my alarms are going off and the kids are like, get juice. We'll be okay. I've been a diabetic for 30 years. And so um, it has definitely just kind of helped me find my, my footing in education, which is the weirdest thing to say about a tragedy. But at the end of the day, right, it's finding some sort of silver lining. I was homeless for nine months during college. I slept in a park. Never missed a day of school, but I slept in a park. And there, I go, I use my stories because I don't want them to give up. I don't want their home life or their past mistakes to direct their future path. They're still writing it. Well, I just appreciate, Ashley, I want to first thank you um, for being willing to be so vulnerable and open with us. Um, it, it, on a topic that we have historically not been willing to share in the workplace, right? Especially in education, to be a classroom teacher and say, I am struggling with anxiety. I am struggling with um, emotions. I am struggling with, you know, you call it PTSD from um, what you experienced. That it, That is really um, brave and vulnerable. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that. Um, I feel like some of the new world we're in in our post-COVID workplace, it has allowed for some of that to become more acceptable. I don't know if if you have found that for yourself, you're able to be more of yourself in the workplace than you were before COVID, or if it's just been since what happened in Vegas, you've just been raw since then, and you're just trying to, you know, some days just get through the day. I... I would say Vegas definitely allowed me to be more transparent than I was. And I was so transparent even before I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I feel like um, growth doesn't happen when we don't share with people. And my experience and anything could possibly just help even one person. Um, and that is totally worth the transparency of sharing something um so like the shooting happened sunday october 1st i was back in the classroom tuesday because that's my safe zone those four walls room five on that campus that is my safe zone that is where i don't have to worry about people judging me i can be as goofy or as strict as i need to be with these teenagers there's a one chip challenge going on. I have one of my students who did not meet graduation requirements. I, uh, he's like, I so could have just graduated. I just didn't want to. And I was like, prove it to me. If you're going to talk, like you're going to talk a game, I want you to prove it to me. And he's like, okay, what do you want? I go get C minuses in my class, ELA and history, C minuses, 70%. He's like, bet. I was like, okay, what do you want to bet? He's like, if I get C minuses in both of your classes, you have to eat the one chip. You have to do the one chip challenge. No water, no milk in front of all of us. I go, deal. I will burn my intestines if you get C minuses. <laughs> this kid has carried Fs all year. He is halfway to winning this one chip challenge. <laughs> I'm officially scared. Go you for making that bet with him and knowing that that bet is going to encourage him to pick up his grades, right? I hope you I mean, take I the to... tiniest bite. 
do you have to oh, eat no, the I whole thing? To... What are what like what are the parameters around this? I I, I kind of want to know. I, I have to eat the entire chip, and I ha- I cannot have water, milk, or anything to drink for ten minutes. Good thing I have health insurance. <laughs> I'll do it. Be I got the call to the front office, right? Uh, this is room <laughs> five. The teacher. <laughs> indisposed in the moment but we can't really tell you why (laughs) it is you know what it is as the asb advisor even with like red ribbon dress up days if me acting a fool doing something that society or people outside of education would deem stupid but it changes one student's life i'm all for it i will act a fool 24 hours a day that is such dedication to your students and dedication to your craft. What's going to happen with these students, with these 49 students who are not going to graduate from eighth grade? They're going to start their freshman year in August. They'll sit out the whole event. Yeah, they don't get to go on the trip. They don't get to participate in the staff versus uh, eighth grade softball team uh, softball game they don't get to participate in the actual graduation they don't get to go to the dance after graduation they don't get a diploma because we actually print out little diplomas and to a lot of these kids it's they're like okay with it because one of the biggest things that i've seen especially after covid is i have anxiety i don't want to walk across that stage I don't want people to look at me. Uh, we do public speaking. I'm an ELA teacher. You need to get up. We need to We need to work on it. No, I have anxiety. How can we make a TikTok video and expose your face for the world to see, but you, you can't stand up in front of your classmates? And in some of those conversations, you know, these kids are like, I can make a TikTok video because I don't know these people watching my video. I can't stand up in front of my classmates because I, they know who I am. You know, they're going to judge me harder. I can kind of see it, but we work through it. Like I tell them, I go, do you truly have anxiety? Is, do, do we go to the doctor? Are we seeking help? And no. Okay. How can we identify the difference between a student who truly has anxiety and is struggling and a student who is just uncomfortable because being uncomfortable can mimic some of those same anxious like symptoms. I'm, you know, sweaty palms. I, I, I don't know what to expect. And I tell my kids, growth comes outside your comfort zone. We're going to have to, even if it's a toe outside that circle, we're, we're going to put, we're going to dip our toe outside that circle, you know, and you can come back and hide. And next time we're going to go a little further and next time a little further. So these kids who really struggle with like public speaking, it's like, okay, fine. You can present to me. I'll pull you in during my prep. It's just you and me. Next time I want you to bring in three friends of your choice. Okay. Next time you're bringing in seven friends. Okay. Now you're presenting to a small group in class. And by the end of the year, you're going to present to the whole class. And we create a game plan. How are we going to fix this? 
I love that. It's so powerful what you just said. And I, I'm a big believer in the power of community and also the power of um, experience, experience um, dictating next steps um, and giving us clarity. Do you, do you believe, Ashley, in that things happen for a reason? Everything happens for a reason? Absolutely. See, even within you, I see a shift. I've, I've only known you for half an hour, but just talking about how you've um, interacted and, and changed the way students think about not just their academic career, but themselves uh, pretty deeply. Um, I'm sure a lot of that speaks from the from the trauma in your life, but also your relationship with these kids and how much you care about the pathways that they're building for themselves. Um, but, you know, they have to do a lot of it themselves. And after we've all been through a trauma of, through COVID, just like you're saying, now is a great time to revisit the norms of community, rebuild some of those things that might be lacking or a little bit weaker, maybe reframe how we support each other in the class. How can we help build each other up? Um, and I can see there could be some potential for that in your whole school community too. Like how, as, as teachers, how can we build each other up um, on our respective teams and departments? How can we um, ask those hard essential questions of each other and as well as our students? Any other Absolutely. Thoughts? Going to like those hard essential questions, right? Like what you just said, being able to ask those hard essential questions, just like we teach our kids that, if a, if a person disagrees with you, that doesn't mean that they dislike you, that they hate you. Like we're allowed to disagree. Um, but I even see in, in the world of not just educators, but adults where we don't listen to understand. We listen to try and change their opinion and not realizing that I can disagree with you. And then we can be, we can still be friends. And being able to not get so easily defensive or offended when your colleagues are asking those hard questions. Because in a PLC, ultimately, what are we doing? We look at the data. The data drives those questions. The data has nothing to do, I would say very little to do with our teaching or with us as a teacher. If my colleague has, we're testing, you know, RI 8.1 citing evidence and my colleague students blow it out of the water. I want to be asking those questions. I want, what are you doing in your class to get them there? Because I don't have my students there and being able to have positive criticism and being able to be receptive to that and that's huge. And I don't see a lot going on in the adult world. I'm not going to say just education, but just the adult world in general. I blame social media. <laughs> Everyone wants to have their 15 minutes of fame and just like argue, no, this is correct. <laughs> I think you bring up a really good point that a lot of us or a lot of people in general feel a disagreement is a you hate me or mm -hmm. and I hate you right? For these kiddos, they're just not going to be able to promote or graduate and they're going to be missing out on these activities. I'm like, I'm a little heartbroken for them. <laughs> I'm, I'm heartbroken too. And it's like, it drives me bonkers. And even when I look at state tests, right? Our kids, my eighth graders, 20, 25% are meeting or exceeding standards. 
I am sending 75 to 80% of my students into high school unprepared according to a state test because we all know students are more than just one, two, three, four. But when those high school teachers get my students and they see that that score, they develop a, a predisposition of the abilities of my student, which will then affect in the, in the classroom. I refuse to look at cumes. I won't unless I have to. I don't want, when I grade, I don't see names. I block out names. I'm human. We're going to have, we're going to develop some biases. I'm, I may have gotten into an argument with one of my students and now I have to grade his test and it's constructed response. I'm still a little bitter about being called the B word. No, I don't want to see names. I want to see the facts. Thank you so much for sharing that. You've shared so many golden nuggets with us during this conversation with the relationships and how you build these relationships with your students, right? With how you see yourself as a teacher for them with the experiences that you've gone through and the change in the allowances that you give to your students, but at the same time, driving in the responsibilities that they need to have and the learning skills that they need to have to be successful students. If there is one thing that you could share with all of the listeners that we have for building these relationships, for how you wish you could change the rules, bend the rules, or whatever it is for these students to help them see the fun they could be missing out on and not being able to participate in the end of the year events, what would it be? That's carnitas. That's meat right there. I keep going back to the phrase productive struggle. And I think a lot of my kids, and I'm going to speak of my kids because that's my experience. As soon as something gets complicated, they back away. Nope, I don't want it. I'm not touching it. Nope. And having, as a teacher, I want you to sit uncomfortably in that productive struggle. And we're going to sit there. But you're not going to sit there alone. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to let you fall occasionally. It's going to be, it's going to hurt a little bit but it's not the end of the world. And realizing that as educators, it's okay to sit in that uncomfortableness in that productive struggle with your students. We we can't just throw them in the lion's den. We have to teach them how to walk and we need to be right there. Doesn't mean doing everything for them, but we're there. We're a safety net. And allowing them to fall is okay, too. You tied that up so beautifully. Thank you so much for being the trust net for your students, for sitting in the discomfort with them so that they're able to learn from their productive struggles. And your students are so lucky 
to have you as their teacher rooting for them all the time. And I am now just worried for your stomach when that kiddo gets the C minus <laughs> and you're going to have to do this one chip challenge. Oh, he's close too. He's at like a 67%. And I was like, and the kids are like, you can tank it. No one's going to know. No, nope. if, if, if he wins it, I will, I will own it. But at the end of the day, I'm the lucky one. These kids, we, our community competes with a lot of affluent schools and they ask me all the time, why do you teach here? Not over, you know, the other school. This is where it's at. This is where I want to be. This, you guys are just as important. And they have taught me a lot. They drive me nuts. They give me gray hair, but they've taught me a lot. <laughs> you are a magical human being, Ashley. I think we we need to book you for a summer phase part two with us so we can hear just how the chip challenge went. A few, like, you know, we did a, as the fundraiser coordinator, because like I said, I'm ASB advisor, yearbook advisor, leadership, athletic director. Oh, I love it all. Um, the bunt cakes. Uh, we did a bunt cake sell and I told them that I could sell more than they could combine. And they beat me. Barely. Barely. But they beat me. And those fundraisers are how we're able to do fun stuff. So if I can motivate them to do that, so I can then in turn give them more experiences. Again, I will I will eat seven one chip challenges. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And for the folks who can't see us, Ashley is holding this gigantic Harry Potter mug that is could probably hold a gallon of water. I don't know. It is a gigantic mug. So I I have about five cups of coffee in this one. It's the Hagrid Harry Potter mug. Thanks for tuning in to Struggle for Change. If you have a real story to tell about a struggle you or someone you know has faced in education, or if you have an idea for a future episode, send us an email at struggleforchangepodcast at gmail.com and we will be in touch. You can also find us at struggleforchange.com.